Welcome to the 53rd edition of Make Pro Wrestling Majestic Again. I am Tiger High, and no, we do not know who is uh, the interim champion currently. Right. So, yes. Peanut Gallery, by the way. Yes, he is Peanut Gallery. Uh, let's talk about Rebellion. Yeah. Overall, I did like this show. It was show. a good show. It was a very good show. They, they, they mastered the pacing of those matches. They really did. And that's one thing we're going to really talk about a lot is the pacing of a lot of the matches, including our first match, which was originally scheduled on the main card. But because Jonathan Gresham is hurt, he couldn't make it. So... I couldn't update the picture. I couldn't find it. But it was Eddie Edwards taking on Chris Bay instead. And even with the out-of-nowhere thing, it was a good match. Oh, yeah. Of course. Um, the one thing, and I think a lot of people actually agreed with me, is that Eddie Edwards is mediocre at best as a wrestler. Chris Bay, I think, really drove that good match home. And it's just like, okay. That's why he's, that, well, they, they pair Eddie Edwards really well with some really well-rounded wrestlers, which kind of masks his mediocrity as an athlete. Right. But um, it was it was good. It was it was very much carried by Chris Bay, though. Oh, absolutely. Um, I'm very happy that they did this. I'm sure Jonathan Gresham will have a match against Eddie Edwards when he returns, but, you know. Yeah, at some point. When you, when you work the amount that Gresham was doing, you're going to get hurt. Yeah. And at the end of the day, it was the diehard driver for Eddie Edwards to win. I was actually surprised about that. I wonder if he was originally going to be the winner against Gresham. Yeah. Which would have been, once again, very strange. But overall, um, I'll give it a full thumbs yeah. up. Yeah. So our first title match is for the Impact Knockouts Tag Team Champions, where the influence took on the inspiration. It was, um, they didn't give this match enough time. No. It felt very rushed. It felt rushed, but what they did was good. I, I really liked it. It was a fine match, but once again, after entrances, the introduction and everything, they maybe had seven, eight minutes. Yeah, I thought this was a stronger match than um, oh. the other women's match was. Oh, most certainly. I mean, I really liked this. I think these teams me mesh really well for the most part. Um, the, some of the false finishes were really good, yeah. and they weren't—they didn't overdo it either. No. So that was really nice, and I think it really gives on how good these teams are. But it was the collab, which I, I hate the name of the move, but whatever. It was a collab for the in, the influence to win. This is what happens when you have two I teams. You're getting confused. Inspiration and influence. It's like, come on. Well, But yes, uh, retain the champions. I'll give it an Orange Cassidy thumbs up, but that's just because, once again— Timing. Right. They paced it well, but for a title match, we need some more time. You need to, to give them an extra five to ten minutes. Oh, That's easily. Sure. At least five. So our first contest for the actual Rebellion pay-per-view, it was Steve Macklin, Chris Sabin, and Jay White. Um, a lot of this rivalry was on before Alex Shelley re-debuted within Impact, so that's why this match happened. Um... You know, I understand that it was a whole Punisher thing, but Steve Macklin looked like a school shooter. Like, it was... He, he did, um, but uh, his character work is getting better. Oh, God, yes. Oh, I mean, he's he's getting better as a wrestler. He's getting more comfortable as a singles competitor. Yep. 
Um, even though, actually, I think he and Wesley Blake, or whatever his new name is now, they won Tag Team Champions somewhere else. Yeah. So I wonder if they're possibly even going to bring him in yeah. to do a thing. I to mean, do a program with the Motor City Machine Guns. That'd be cool. Because I don't really know what Jay's White future is in Impact Wrestling. The, the, the Forgotten Sons were definitely screwed over. Oh, yeah. um, you know, it wasn't their fault on what happened. They shouldn't have been punished. Right. But... Um, I mean, we wouldn't have had this Steve Macklin if they were still in WWE. Yeah, we would. But everybody, everybody worked really well in this. You have a ton of great wrestlers, yeah. and also Chris Sabin was leading. Like yeah. he was 100 leading. He was pacing the match. The match oh, yeah. was being paced according to what Chris Sabin was doing. Um, but yeah, otherwise he knows, he knows he knows how to pace a multi-man. I mean, yeah. this was a really this was a really really fun opener just in general. Yeah. But it was a crucifix pin for Steve Macklin to win the match. Yeah. It was kind of an interesting finish. But overall, it was fine. I'll give it a full thumbs up mm -hmm. on that one. All right, so the next match for the Triple A Reina de Reina's champion, Deanna Perrazzo and Taya Valkyrie. And what I really liked about this is that they did the full tie-in right. to when Taya left. Right. And they this was an awesome match yeah it I was mean, excellent this exceeded my expectations and i'm sorry i i don't know who's like like anti-mlm like content absorbers like peanut gallery and ir but if you know the name jesse lee ward taya valkyrie is like literally that person <laughs> if you look her up look up jesse lee ward or boss lee on instagram it's literally the same person <laughs> yeah it's, it's really freaky but this was just a well, a great match. Yeah, if you're wondering, um, we don't have any artificial light on it. So this is all the natural light. That's mm -hmm. why the things are getting darker and lighter. We've got some clouds, I yeah. guess. Yeah, you're just going to have to deal with it. Yep. Too. We might have to turn on the thing at some point in time. But anyway, it was Road to Valhalla for the win. I was actually surprised yeah. that Taya Valkyrie I was surprised, won. too, because usually they don't have another promotion's title change hands at a pay-per-view of another, you know what I mean? Right, it's kind of weird. Like, it's kind of weird how they did that. Right. I wasn't expecting it, but I do. I knew that Taya was going to win this belt at some point in time. I'm just surprised it wasn't in Mexico because Taya is really popular in Mexico. That's the other thing, too. I'm surprised that they didn't wait until a Mexican pay-per-view to do this. Absolutely. But overall, I really liked it. Once again, a full thumbs up. It didn't get the two because I feel like even though it was paced really well i would have loved to have had a, maybe another loved, five minutes yeah, i would have loved to have more of a match right i felt like the um ending kind of went mm. over strange yeah where in the hell is my there it is yeah it was just it was just weirdly paced yeah. but other than that it was a great match triple threat match for the this X was an excellent this was match. awesome uh, for the Exhibition Champion, Trey Miguel, Ace Austin, and Mike Bailey. Mike Bailey shined in this They match. are definitely setting up for Mike Bailey versus Ace Austin. Trey Miguel was just there because he was the champion. He was, he was the champion, and I think he's going to be moving on to something different yeah. now. Um, I'm hearing murmurs that he's actually leaving, which I'm really hoping that's not the case. Right. But you never know. But I, I'm actually surprised that Ace Austin won. Yeah. Well, I'm actually not surprised because I don't think Mike Bailey was ready for the title yet. But they definitely, definitely are going to well, work on yeah. giving him the title. And because Trey Miguel was the one who ate the pin, so yeah. there's going to be justification for Mike Bailey to go after the belt yeah. again. But yeah, um, Ace Austin is the X Division champion. I I don't like Ace Austin. Um, in this particular position because I think he definitely deserves to be in the main event scene. They were pushing him hard. They were, but he's not... Well, 
I just don't think there was time or room for him in the main event. Well, also, given the circumstances when they were pushing him late 2019, early 2020, yeah, mm, there was something that happened there that kind of halted right. impact in a lot of their stuff. So overall, great match, a lot of fun. I'm gonna give this two thumbs up. Mm -hmm. It was it was really that good. I could watch this over and over. And if I if there was a match that I would recommend, mm -hmm. it would want be this match in the main event. All right, Jonah and Tomohiro Ishii. It was your big Haas match. It's about what you expected. It definitely was not the strongest match on the card. I'm not oh. going to say it was the weakest, but as far as the men's matches it's, go, I is, think it was pretty, you know, it, it is. Was it was, weakest. this was most certainly not the weakest match of the night. Um, I think the Eddie Edwards Chris Bay one was maybe a slightly oh, yeah, weaker. Oh, that was on the pre-show though. So. Right. <laughs> um, the thing is, is that Jonah... Jonah should definitely be going for the main title because he's... They're not... I don't think they're going to because his contract is up, I believe, after this. Oh, unless, really? Unless they're extending the contract, which is always possible. Well, but now, also keep in mind of the working relationships that a lot of these companies... They have Tomohiro Ishii going to right. America to wrestle there. But Tomohiro Ishii has just been on a tear here in America. He's had a great... He had a great match with Adam mm -hmm. Cole. He had a fun match here with Jonah. I mean, there's an experience difference there. And sometimes right. Haas matches can go one or two ways. And I think with this one, it was fun, but it was not like that being memorable. Right. Um, Jonah's match with PCO was memorable yeah. as a part of a Haas match. Right. This one, albeit good, and it's definitely something to consider. Yeah. Um, it will be forgotten at least within yeah, a year. Yeah, this is the most forgettable, forgettable match, let's put it that oh, way. Yeah. But Ishii hitting the brain buster on a much taller and a much larger Jonah was really impressive. Mm, it was. And the fact that Jonah trusted Ishii to actually do that without killing him really shows... Mm -hmm on, number one, how good Ishii is, but also how comfortable Jonah was. So yeah. I was very happy. Overall, I liked the match. I can only really give it an Orange Cassidy thumbs mm -hmm. up because there was just something missing. Right. And I just don't think it was, like, timing or a stipulation that would have done it. There was just, just a magic that wasn't there. Right. I'm, I was not a big fan of this overall. No, I wasn't a big fan of this either. To me, the Jonah-Ishii match was even better than this. So... This was a eight-person... It was eight-team. Eight-team eight, eight eliminator for the Impact World Tag Team Champions, and Violent by Design were the last ones definite. So we have major players versus Jordan Grace and W. Morrissey. I did like that. Um, but it was a weird roll-up for the major players to win where I think it, there was kind of a fuck-up. It, it, it tied in really well with the rivalry going on right. between the major players and um, Jordan Grace and W. Morrissey. That's Absolutely. Sure. But, you know, again, we have the male-on-female action, which... Especially a guy as tall as W. Morrissey right. doing power bombs to women. It's just like you're you're skirting a line. Yeah. Like, I understand it. If, if you want a quality, here's a quality for you. But it's still, there's like an inherent uncomfortableness when a 300-pound, 7-foot tall W. Morrissey power bombing a 100-pound soaking wet two cinder blocks tied to her ankles, 5-foot whatever Chelsea Green. Right. Um, Jordan Grace... I think she's bulky enough to where that's not a problem. Right. Not a fat joke. She's just a bulkier woman. Right. Like that it's fine. She it's like, has the bulk. Right. It's like China. It's like China wrestling guys. It was right. not weird because there was a certain there, there was a certain yeah. girth element that was definitely there. She's shorter. I mean, she's really short, mm -hmm. but it's there. Anyway, 
Uh, major players took on the Good Brothers with the distraction with W. Morrissey. Yeah. Um, it was a magic killer for Good Brothers to go. Once again, Good Brothers took on Johnny Swinger and Ziggy Dice. It was like that was a nothing. That was it was it was it was it was for you know the giggles. I didn't laugh. Good Brothers versus Rich Swan and Willie Mack. This yep. was actually a really fun match. I mm -hmm. really wish it was this kind of this, but whatever. It was a magic killer on Willie Mack for the win. I was surprised about that one. Mm -hmm. Good Brothers taking on OGK, and it was uh, pinned with tricks. I think I I think that was like oh. It was a distraction mm -hmm. roll-up with tights or whatever for OGK to win. I was surprised about that one. Yeah, I was surprised about OGK um, going over the Good Brothers as well. But, you know, the Good Brothers, the Good Brothers, they're good, but their their act is kind of getting stale yeah. in the tag team division. It, it kind of is. They need to do some other things, like go to Japan or whatever. Right. Which I can see that happening. Let's, let's get them out of Impact for, like, a right. couple of months, have other teams shine, right. and then go back. Really you know they've really been dominating the whole thing. Um, right. Our green, the green screen's acting up again. Oh, it's fine. Whatever. <laughs> we, we that's an easy fix. Anyway, um, OGK Heath and Rhino knows a gore on Matt Taven for Heath and Rhino to go over. Then it's finally Violent by Design versus Heath and Rhino for the Impact Tag Team Champions. Yep, and uh, and Violent by Design. Yep, pile driver on Heath uh -huh. for them to retain. It was fine, but yeah. the problem is, is. This was a we-have-nothing-for-you-to-do match. Yeah. And it's like there should be more respect put on the tag team yep. champions than this is the best that we can do sort of thing. Right. So I'm going to give an Orange Cassidy thumbs yeah, down. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of in the same boat. There was some good stuff. There was some bad stuff. I feel like the tag team division deserves better than oh, this. Oh, yeah. They have a strong tag team division too, which is surprising. Yeah, it's really strange. All right, in our penultimate main event, we have Tasha Seals defending the Knockout World Champion against Rosemary. This was not a strong match at all. It this, was not. Um, this was, this was. in fact, this is one of those matches where I think they were given too much time. Mm -hmm. And so you saw a lot of mistakes in this. Yep, there were, there were quite a few. And I, I hate saying this. Well, number one, it was only 12 minutes. It was only a 12-minute match. I know. But still, it's, it was... <sighs> It just wasn't it, – it was kind of awkward. Let's put it that way. It was really awkward. I feel like the rivalry was just like a nothing sandwich. It was, and yeah. The pairing was just not there. Yeah, there was, the, there was no magic with this match right. if you want to put it that way. And here's the thing, and this is just something that's indicative of wrestling, is that sometimes there are just two, albeit strong competitors like Rosemary and Tasha uh -huh. Steeles, who just don't mesh well. Right. Like, there are two wrestlers that mesh like, you know, um, butter on toast, and there are some that mesh like oil and water. Well, and here's the thing, too, is that Tasha Steeles is not... Well, Rosemary can be a strong singles competitor, but she spent a lot of time in the tag team division. And then, and then, and then she just gets this after a battle right. royal, and it's like, okay... Let's have some more singles matches first, right. and then let's talk about same, a title same, opportunity. But same with Tasha Steels. Like Tasha Steels, well, she's a champion, she's, right? She's getting better, but she is not as strong as she could mm -hmm. be in a match. Like you know, not in this, not in this context. And, and the ma the magic that was missing in this, where because Tasha Steels has had great matches, but she was facing off against Mickey James, right? Mickey James carried that match. Right. Tasha Steele. She's not quite there to carry a match. Right. And, and, Rosemary, and Rosemary, she can carry a match, but she's not. I think I think some of the the rust form, the singles rust form. Right. She was in. As a, she was in the tag team division with Havoc for the longest time. Right. 
And I think I think that's kind of where I felt. And it was like a weird suplex thing for Tasha to retain the championship. Which not... was the right move to make. Yep. But it was it's still I'm gonna give this one Orange Cassidy thumbs down. I'm going to as well. They tried, they yep. really worked hard. There was just a victim of circumstance, and we'll talk about this when we make um, Pro Wrestling Majestic again, right. because really it's not a hard fix. No, it's not. It's really not. Like same circumstances, just slightly different on build. Yep. And finally, we have our main event for the Impact World Champion. Six months in the making, family involved, Moose versus Josh Alexander. This was an awesome match in it was. every way, shape, and form. Pacing, perfect. The rivalry, like, stupendous. Spot, spot on. <laughs> I said stupendous on purpose. But, <laughs> and also, this felt like um, a it, title match. Now, some, now, there were some points... That I felt like it was a little slow for my taste, yeah. especially given the rivalry going into it. Mm -hmm. But um, the ending with the two C four spikes on Moose, keeping hit, looking, making Moose, keeping him strong. Yeah, and Josh Alexander oh, he's definitely out for revenge. Oh yeah, finally winning this belt, having the moment with the family. Mm -hmm. It's a great send off, and I think. Especially with the ending of this, it had to happen like this. If dead. Moose won, Josh Alexander would have been dead. Yeah. Absolutely dead in the water. Yep. But because he won, we don't have to worry about that, You're which right. I'm so happy about. Right. So overall, two thumbs up. Like 100%, oh, yeah. this could possibly be a match of the year candidate, oh, yeah. um, given the rivalry and everything. But we're going to have to wait and see to yep. the end of the year to really make that determination. Yep. So... Overall, definitely two thumbs up. Josh Alexander is your world champion. And when we come back, peanut gallery, what are we talking about? Well, we're going to be doing a very special um, heckling in which we are going to be discussing booking styles of Hulk Hogan in TNA. Awesome. Uh, very specific. Yeah, well, stay tuned for that. All right, peanut gallery, heckling from the hard camera. Let's go. All right, well... So the reason I wanted to bring up Hulk Hogan in TNA specifically is because I, I think that there's a lot of parallels that we can draw um, between the way in which Hulk Hogan used his influence, his political influence uh, in the wrestling community and what's occurring today with certain aspects of AEW's booking. Um, and the reason I wanted to bring up Hulk Hogan specifically is because this is also something that he did hearkening back to the days of WCW when he did a lot of the same tactics. Now, TNA, in 2000, he came in in like 2007, no, 2009, I believe, yeah, was, was when he came in. TNA was pretty much the second biggest wrestling promotion in, in the United States at that point in time. Um, obviously, AEW didn't exist yet. Ring of Honor. Ring of Honor was very close, number three, but as far as TV contracts, they did a great contract. Um, they had a great audience. They were, they, they were making a lot of great moves. They had a lot of good backing, that sort of thing. But um, when they brought in Hulk Hogan, they brought in Eric Bischoff as well. And that's kind of the first major thing that I want to talk about, too, is who, who Hulk Hogan brings in when, when he, when he uh, I guess, started this whole campaign. He surrounds himself with his friends. He does. And it's, it's very much a click. And, and it's a very old school way of looking at the wrestling industry. Obviously, we don't see a lot of that anymore. But 
Hulk Hogan very much stuck to bringing in Hulk. It's never just Hulk Hogan. It's always Hulk Hogan and somebody else. <laughs> it's always Hulk Hogan and a collective of friends. So right. you have, you know, Scott Hall, you have X-Pac, you have Kevin, Kevin Nash, Nash, you, you have Eric Bischoff. Bischoff, you have Bubba the Love Sponge. Because mm. remember, he was also hired on. Right, you have McFoley from time to time as well. Right, now there are some uh, wrestlers that Hulk Hogan did give a lot of credence to. He really liked AJ, yeah. so he kept him strong on the in the main event scene he brought in rick flair mm -hmm. um oh yeah rick flair too yep uh rob van dam he brought yeah. in rob because hulk hogan really liked rob van dam uh so the one thing with hogan it's hogan's thing within tna and his thing with wcw are different and only in the context of he was not in creative hulk hogan had creative control over his character right um, but that yeah that's why that's why i only wanted to do the tna right because it was a little bit different with tna because he actually did exert creative control over that process right so that's why we're going to talk about his booking styles and again hulk hogan favors his friends he obviously brings in friends with him which really which at the time it was it was okay. I didn't see any issues with it at the time that they were bringing in Hulk Hogan because TNA was pretty strong as a promotion. Mm -hmm. But it was really this era that brought about its downfall. Too. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> Here's the thing: people wanted to watch the alternative to WWE, right? And when Hogan came in, it the... was the alternative. No, it was not the alternative. It was WWE Lite. Oh, yes, that's right. Because a lot of the originals were not there. The X Division was basically totally ignored, yeah. which was ridiculous. They brought in the four-sided ring. Uh, it, felt, it felt like every other promotion mm -hmm. where before it was not that. There, it were, was, there were characters and storylines and match types and things that were just not, uh, that, that were just not in WWE. Right. And now they are here. And right. then let's talk about the Eric Bischoff Hulk Hogan thing, because I think that dynamic also hurt the product as it a did. whole. It did, because again, they're they're the ones who are exerting that creative control over the product, and and Hulk Hogan will favor his friends over the wrestlers that are already there. Right. That is something that he did in WCW. Even though he didn't have creative control, having creative control over your character means that you can face whoever you want and you can go for the title as many times as you want. With this, he had control over the entire roster creatively and put over his friends and people that he brought in at the expense of the TNA originals. Right, and that was a huge problem for people because, once again, it's WWE light. When, right. when you think, when any non-wrestling fan thinks of WWE, the first name that pops into their head is Hulk Hogan. Right. Like, almost every single time. Maybe The Rock, maybe Stone Cold, right. but, or maybe even Cena. But if you talk to somebody like our dad's age, Hulk Hogan. Right. He was rocking. He was he was wrestling. Yeah. And now Hogan coming in the first week was very popular. I yeah. think he gained like the only million views that they've gotten ever. Right. Um, but, you know, then they, they brought in a lot of ideas with them. And obviously, you know, we have to talk about what else happened at that time. They were going to Mondays. They were uh, bringing in and that's Dixie Carter, by the way. Yeah, right, right behind my head because yeah. – um, and we're, we'll get to Dixie in a little bit, 
because um, but but there were a lot of ideas I guess that were just coming out of this because they saw themselves as potentially being a viable competition to WWE right um, let's, let's so let's talk about Dixie Carter because at this point in time too Dixie Carter became a lot more active in terms of on-screen characterization, which was a downfall. Yep, people did not want you. People do not want to see the people making the decisions on camera all the time. That's what happened with Hulk Hogan: is that he put himself on camera all the time. Right. He put he. There were all. This was like a crew in his office. Right, Eric. <laughs> Eric Bischoff was in multiple segments throughout the show. Dixie Carter became involved. They did Power Struggle storyline stuff that was successful in WCW at the time. Mm-hmm. But the issue is, is that that's not the culture anymore. You right. need to, people want to see something. Maybe a refresh is right. there. It's not something new. We right. want a refresh of the past. Right. And Hogan doing the same thing with the same people at the same time dominating like they did in WCW was not the way to go. Because we've already seen that. What else is new? Mm -hmm. Now, there were some wrestlers that came out of this era that were a net positive. Mm -hmm. Once again, you have Rob Van Dam's world title run. You have AJ Styles who went to such a different level because he was rubbing shoulders with Ric Flair. Right. Um, you had Beer Money doing some of the best work at the time uh, yep. with Fortune. Bully Ray came up to prominence at this time. Yeah. Um, and he, you know, we wouldn't have the Bully Ray that we do now without this era because right. he was a part of that Fortune stable. Right. So. You know, not everything was bad Bad within this time. But it was definitely, there were definitely a lot of favorites. There, there was favoritism. There was a lot of backstage politicking. And there were just, uh, the main storylines were Hogan, Bischoff, Fortune. Uh, um, and, and all the friends. And all the friends. And it's like, that's, that to me, the undercard was the exciting part of TNA at that time. Right. The main event scene was like, okay, you have AJ, but he's facing... Rob Van Dam, the heel Jeff Hardy. It's like, well, come on, right? Do something different, right? So um, that that really is the big one, um, you know. And again, with with Dixie Carter being involved, and and she really showed her incompetence as far as as far as wrestling goes, and and she was fine just being doing a backstage thing. You know, just being backstage. Right, and it, it, here's the thing. If Hulk Hogan and Eric Bischoff stayed backstage, I'm sure they, they could give great insight to mm-hmm. um, them. But the problem was is that they cannot stay outside of the right. general spotlight if they're involved within a wrestling company. Right, and it, that's that's what led to the failure of TNA in the Monday Night Wars. It was, was, it was just the same old song and dance that, w, that WCW did. And then we, then WWE have Bret Hart coming back after years and years, shaking hands with Shawn Michaels. They, and I, I think at this time, WWE scared for maybe like two weeks. They were. And they, and they were, they were, their, their, I, their, um, their feathers were peaked a little bit yeah. there. They're, they're but after, after week two, there's just like, this is just stupid. Yeah. <laughs> no, they were, they were legitimately worried at this time. There was speculation that this could have been something big but the problem was that TNA dropped the ball yeah. they had they legitimately scared WWE they, they had the golden goose right nope nope <laughs> because you know why because the first two weeks you knew exactly what Hogan was going to be doing which is what you said favoriting his friends favoriting him 
He's in the main event of Bound for Glory. Right. Nobody can go past him. He's facing Sting. Right. Blah, blah, blah. Once again, Joker Sting is cool. But Hindsight 2020. But, you know. So, uh, you know, I, I guess we can come up to a conclusion. I think this is my last picture. This is not. No, there's one more. Okay. So let's go to that. That's the that's oh, the yeah. press conference. Yeah. So let's let's talk about some parallels because this is kind of what I wanted to end on. Is is we're seeing some parallels between what happened during TNA Impact as far as the management being more involved goes, and kind of what we're seeing today, with not nearly as bad. Scott Demore is doing very well. No, no, no I'm not talking. Like, oh. I'm not talking about Scott Demore. I'm talking about uh, Tony Khan. Oh yes. Well he. Well, he is starting to become a little more involved he's only, on he's, screen. He's, he's only been out there for big announcements. That's the only time that he's been on camera. And if he continues to do that, then we're okay. I but you know, I, I think I think that let's let's talk about because in general, in general, when you're management, you don't spend time outside of of just managing you can do it in a way that is fine once again tony khan is doing it well he's only coming out for the big announcements he's not involved in storylines he's on he's not involved in storylines he's only there in a business capacity which is exactly where he needs to be right mr mcmahon is a little involved with Austin Theory, but it's not the main event. Well, that's true. And it's not the main focus. It's a segment within the show. That's, that's a true. different situation. And then with Scott Demore, he was only there because there was a tie-in with Josh Alexander. It was very minimal. Right. He knows that it's a problem. Right, but I think this raises another issue. This raises, I think, a point that we're trying to see is how much management on screen is too much management on screen. I think, <laughs> right, with, with Hulk Hogan, because, you know, Dixie Carter was, once again, at this time, she was not on camera all the time. It's like you knew about Dixie Carter. You knew she was. She but, was the president of TNA, but she was out of the limelight right she was out of the limelight she was not involved within creative at that time mm -hmm. so she was now she had the final say for the most part but at the same time she put her trust in albeit questionable people but she put it in the trust <laughs> of people who had years of experience yeah and she was just funding it well her dad was but that's beside the point she was a middleman right now um at this rate you're right she became more involved with dixieland she was the main event because she had that. Um, and once again, we had Magnus in his world title run, mm -hmm. which we did not know the capabilities of him until then. He was still green, but once again, you saw something there. We didn't know what the issue was. But then, you know, the thing with AJ Styles was fun. I liked that whole thing about him. Now, him leaving was not good, but the rivalry of him leaving was fine. Bully Ray being the main event scene, the main event player that right. he was. Um, you you get a tit for tat with Hogan right. in TNA. And, you know, living through the, the entire thing for Peanut Gallery and I, uh, fond memories of some and bad for others, but it's always a testament on over-egging the authority pudding. Yes. And you don't do that. The authority, let's talk about the authority too. Management mm -hmm. in main event story that was too much. Right now, luckily, it didn't hurt anybody, but it was there. And right. uh, this was it was very common in the 
two thousands to have management in. I think it comes in waves to have yep. management in storylines. Yep. Um, but uh, you know what? What is the appetite for it these days? Is very very minimal. We don't want authority. Right. In major storylines today, but in five years that could change. It's it's just a matter of of what you know. Obviously. Hulk Hogan in TNA should be a sign of, of caution. It's a cautionary tale. It really is. mixing the, the storylines in with, with the, the creative control. I agree. I can, I can agree with that. Yeah, absolutely. So that's all I got. All right. So when we come back, I'm going to be talking about, very briefly, the history of the inactive championships within TNA.
Alright, we are back, and I am talking about the inactive Impact Wrestling TNA Championships because, number one, I always, I'm, I'm a huge sucker for titles. Like, we have a championship, and the art's great, but also, it's just like the main focal point. And when there is an inactive champion, and I'm, I might make this a series with pay-per-views now because I haven't done that. Right. And I just think it might be kind of fun to go through it. So let's do some honorable mentions before we get into it. Uh, let's talk about the NWA championships. Now, this was at the time when it was an NWA property. It was NWA TNA. And they had rights to use two championships within the confines right. of TNA, which were the NWA World Heavyweight Champion and the T NWA Tag Team Champions. The X Division champion was not an NWA title. That was exclusive to TNA. Right. So, um, a little nod in the thing. You know, we've had some of the greatest matches. You know, we had the true um, uh, Reign of Terror with Jeff Jarrett. He had the NWA World Champion. <laughs> that's another. That's another <laughs> Yeah, that's another. Yeah. Look at that. You, I don't think you even thought about that, didn't you? Uh, well, I, I had a lot of thoughts. There's, all, there's so much we can do. With, oh, with unpacking it with wrestling. Jeff Jarrett. Um, yeah. In that, yeah. That was just a vanity. But, you know, NWA titles overall. We had Ron Truth Killings, the first African-American NWA, and still to this day, the only African-American NWA World Heavyweight Champion. We had the Sting match against Jeff Jarrett for the title. That's that was, a, that was the show that got me into DNA was uh, that Bound for Glory when it was uh, title versus career. So that's all cool. And then let's talk about we got to we got to talk about the GFW champions. Um, now we could have I could have just done the wrestling lesson on that, but because of the sticky situation that happened there, it might have to be saved for another time. I want to do direct and. Um, TNA Impact Wrestling right. titles. So, but you know, all the Global Force titles technically were in Impact Wrestling. TNA. They they were they they were in Impact Wrestling, but it was very brief because it would Jeff Jarrett still owned the right to the right. GFW uh, the GFW properties right. when that whole shebang happened. Once right. again, we can talk about that another heckling. Yeah, and maybe even do a tie-in with Global Force Wrestling yep. title, whatever. So there you go. Now. Let's talk about our first champion because this one is weird. Let's talk about the Legends champion, well, the television champion, well, the global champion, well, the King of the Mountain champion. So this title... The, the, the title with five names. Yes. Once again, now, I want to say one thing. This, is, this was probably one of my favorite designs of a TNA title ever because, number one, the side plates were, like, enormous. But it's, a, it's just a cool belt. So... The title was introduced on the October 23rd, 2008 edition of Impact, and it was christened the Legends Champion by Booker T. Mm -hmm. Now, the title was non-sanctioned until the authority figure, I think it was Jim Cornette still at that time. Also, number one, this was in the Hard Rock Casino in Las Vegas. We did not live here at the time, but I remember the episode when Booker T um, showcased the title. It was put into circulation as an official TNA champion when AJ Styles beat him at Destination X on March 15, 2009. So between October and March, this was a non-sanctioned championship. Uh, this, this match made the title a sanctioned title as a secondary. 
Now, there were a couple of title changes within, but when Eric Young, who was the leader of World Elite at the time, won this champion, he renamed it the TNA Global Champion. Also, he declared that he wouldn't defend this champion on American soil or against American wrestlers. So he actually did international tours and defended it in Japan. He defended it in Mexico. He defended it in Canada. So he did defend it everywhere but America. I think there was like a time when he actually had to. And so when AJ Styles won the championship again, he rechristened it as the TNA television champion. And so on July 3rd, 2014, Kurt Angle declared this champion inactive from that point. So a good amount he, of time. Because he, um, he, uh, he, mer he merged it with the world title, didn't he? No, that was later. Oh. Yeah, no, he just declared it inactive because it wasn't going over. So the title was reactivated on June 25th, 2015. So just shy of a year of this champion not existing. And now it was called the King of the Mountain Championship. Mm -hmm. And so Jeff Jarrett won that one. No shit. Yep. <laughs> it, at Slammiversary, that was the one where the TNA Heavyweight Champion was on the line for some reason. It was deactivated again to bring back the Global Champion, or the Grand Champion, which we'll talk about here in a moment. Because this is technically a different title. Yep. So, um, and you're right. There was a time when uh, Bobby Lashley was going through a tear and he, the title was finally deactivated forever when Lashley beat James Storm in a winner-take-all where the TNA World Heavyweight, the Legends, or the Television Champion, and the X Division Champion were all on the line. There were, oh, let's see here. I probably should have separated this out a little bit better than I did, but whatever. Um, Eric Young holds a record for the most amount of championships, and also he is the only wrestler to hold this title in all four of its title reincarnations because the legends or the king of the mountain champion was defended. It wasn't just given to Jeff Jarrett and then it was deactivated. It was actually defended frequently. PJ Black won it when it was the king of the mountain champion. Eric Young won it when it was the king of the mountain champion, and he holds the most for it as well. Abyss has the longest reign with this championship in some way, shape, or form with a 398-day reign because at some point in time they got bored with it. Bobby Lashley was the final champion when he beat James Storm and with all the titles on the line unifying it and thus retiring it there. Overall, there were 25 reigns with the champion between 19 wrestlers, three vacancies, and two deactivations. I missed this title. Now, let's talk about our next one. I already said it. Let's talk about the grand champion. This one is weird. This one was brought in by Billy Corgan. Yeah, Billy. And that was when the King of the Mountain champion was um, retired in favor of this champion. Corgan also announced that this was a rule-specific championship hearkening back to a more European version of uh, professional wrestling back in the day. Now, the original rules were this. There were three minutes. Now, this was a three-round um, three round base system, and there were three minutes per round. 
in each event matches had five minutes per round. No, there was, okay, let's try that whole sentence again. Jesus. There were three rounds, five minutes each. There, sentence. Ten, it was a 10-point must system. If you're confused, other than me being an idiot, you're correct. Because this was stupid. Well, it was. Um, there were judges. And they judged the judges' categories were physicality, aggressiveness, same thing, and controlling the action. All of that literally is the same thing with extra steps. Right. Uh, wins can happen at any time via pinfall or submission. And if there is no winner after the three rounds, a winner is declared by the judges. And I think this only happened like three times. Right. On July 25th, 2018, at the Genesis event... Matt Seidel defeated champion EC3, or Ethan Carter III at that time, in a no-rounds, no-judges match. Subsequent title defenses were also under that contest with the rules being thrown out. So a regular title? Yes, it became a regular championship by that point. Um, because when they did the no judges, no rules, or um, no rounds, no judges match, that was like the specialty thing for this particular champion. Right. Now, on Ju June 4th, 2018, at the Slammiversary Pay-Per-Views press conference, Austin Aries announced that the Grand and Impact World Champions were merged slash unified. So it wasn't even merged in a match. Um, Austin Aries, who was the belt collector at the time, won both titles on april 24th 2022 they had um aaron stevens won the inaugural champion from 2022 i don't know why that's 2022 that's not right no it's not it's 2016 it was 2016 bound for glory is when aaron aaron rex aaron stevens same person won the title from eddie edwards there were, uh, Moose has the longest reign and the most reigns with two. And his second reign was the longest with 174 days. And Josh Matthews won this title for a day. Well, now, he, was, he was given the title. He, he, was given, he was given the title by Matt Seidel, but he was still technically a grand champion. He was. Let's talk about, now this one is weird. This is a separate Lineage. That's right. This is the 2020 version of the TNA World Heavyweight Championship. Yes, that is that is a the thing one that Moose had. Yes. So at this time, Moose was declaring himself Mr. TNA and represented the company's history while battling the stars. So he actually did bring back this championship without the white strap. So when it became the white strap, it became sanctioned. Now the situation was this. Moose had this champion before the pandemic hit. And when the pandemic hit, Tessa Blanchard was the Impact World Champion. And she was stuck in Mexico because that's where she was living with her husband. Um, uh, what's his name? Daga. Daga, thank you. So, because she was being a bitch, I'm sorry she was, and refused to give this championship back. Impact Wrestling had to have a main champion within their roster because then these people are fighting over nothing. And since Moose had the TNA World Heavyweight Champion going, uh, Scott Demore in kayfabe and in reality decided to make this a sanctioned champion until 
they could get the Impact World Championship back from Tessa because she was holding the title over Impact Wrestling's head for um, buying out her contract. Right. So essentially more money. Now, they eventually did do that. And at some point in time, they had the unification match between Rich Swan, who was the Impact World Champion, and Moose, who was the TNA World Heavyweight Champion. Won by Swan. Right, and Rich Swan won the match. Now, there were only two champions, Moose and Rich Swan, because as soon as Swan won the title, the title was deactivated. Very short. I'm going to do this not as like a serious champion, but as a nod to the past. And this was a non-sanctioned champion, but it was defended in some way, shape, or form. I'm talking about the beer drinking champion. Which was a uh, plastic WWE championship. A plastic WWE. It was the toy spinner that you probably had when you were a kid. I did, yeah. We had, we had the toy spinner. And uh, they he just... Taped a beer bottle to it. <laughs> These were the funniest segments at the time. So, the championship was introduced by, obviously, James Storm at the Genesis pay-per-view on November 11th, 2007. It was active until February 26, 2008, and it was destroyed by Rhino. Now, James Storm and Eric Young were in a rivalry that involved around drinking copious amounts of alcohol. Um, drink responsibly kids. So this title was defended a handful of times. There were three reigns between two different wrestlers, um, and all of it involved drinking. Now, Rhino was the one who destroyed the champion, and James Storm was the first and last champion because Rhino did not hold this title. Um, I guess Rhino had drinking issues in the way, way past, and they brought that up with his rivalry with James Storm, which led up to this title being destroyed. I have fond memories of this because Eric Young is awesome and James Storm is awesome. There. So, just some nods to um, TNA, Impact Wrestling, and the championships. I will make this a series um, on different champions for different companies. I'm also going to be doing this on CMLL and on Triple A. So, hopefully, you get some popcorn and pack a lunch. So Man, that has to be a whole fucking episode to itself. <laughs> um, but, uh, so, you know, we also have talked about the original, because uh, this one was not, it was deactivated, but then they brought it back, which was the Knockouts Tag Team Champions. I did not bring that up because it's technically an active champion. So but for a while, it was inactive. Yes, it was. They didn't have the um, star power to hold the knockout or the knockouts tag team champions, and they deactivated the titles because ODB and Eric Young had those belts. Right. Um, that was a whole mess and a half. But yeah, um, I just didn't talk about it because it's now an active champion. It's right. all the same lineage. So technically, oh, it, it is okay. It, yeah, it's all the same lineage. Right, because I know the WWE Women's Tag Team Championships don't share a lineage. They do not. The Knockouts Champions do. I even went on the Wikipedia article. It's not on there. Right. Same lineage. So, uh, when we come back, we're not only going to make Impact Wrestling and Rebellion Majestic again, but we're going to make Pro Wrestling Majestic again. All right, Peanut Gallery, let's make this Majestic again, starting with a match that I would not change in any way, shape, or form. The rivalry was great. I liked how they incorporated um, the wife, who's also a wrestler, and took a Musa spear, and also they incorporated it in a different promotion. Yep. That was great. All right, let's move on.
<laughs> well, I'm sorry. When 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 it's a great thing, you don't have to do anything. This one should okay. have. This one should have been switched, time wise and placement on the card with uh, Taya Valkyrie and Deanna yeah, Peraza. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you. But also, what I would do with this, given the same circumstances, is. I would have Rosemary in some singles matches yeah. to get her back into of how good she is because she was not wrestling right. at all. I've watched I watched Impact every single week, people. She did not wrestle between the Battle Royal when she won this opportunity to actually wrestling in the match. Right. Have her in some singles matches. Right. Have her face Savannah Evans. Right. Um and all of it was backstage. It's like, okay, the champion doesn't technically have to wrestle. She's the champion. But you need to showcase Rosemary right. as the legitimate singles competitor that, that she is. Right. And they did not do that. Yeah. It was a huge wasted opportunity um, by Scott Demore. A very rare miss. Mm -hmm. This was totally useless. This and was I'm, a clusterfuck, man. Yep. It, the story, there was no storyline to it. Right. Literally, this was the last match announced for this card, yeah. and it deserves so much better. Yeah, it does. And and given the history with Heath and Rhino in this in this trio, um, they it would have been it would have been a perfect opportunity to have a one on or a two on two tag team match with them with maybe some weapons. Yeah, I think that would have been a much better use of time and energy mm -hmm. than this eight-man bullshit because now they have to pay all these guys for pay-per-view. Right. It's like it's not necessary. Right, and then if you want to add another tag team match in there, which I would highly recommend. Do major uh, players, W. Morsey, Jordan Grace. Yeah, exactly. That's, if, that's if you, the only other one that makes sense to me. Yeah, the rest of them, it didn't make any sense to me to have any of these other teams no. in this match whatsoever. This was stupid. By all means, I would have I would have done what you did. Mm -hmm. Have two different tag team matches that had rivalries. Mm -hmm. Probably would have been a better use of everybody's time. It would have been. I wouldn't have done anything different because this it was, was, just, it was it was a match. This this was. was this was a vanity match. Mm -hmm, That's all it was. Um, I think the um, they tried to get the magic with Jonah and PCO again, but it's like they actually had a rivalry. So, right. what the fuck can you do? And to be honest with you, I think bringing in I would have I would have rather had. Uh, PCO versus Jonah in this over Ishii. Right. I would have had Ishii in maybe some more competitive matches yeah. on this. Maybe mention Ishii at Rebellion when he was wrestling on Rampage, a much right. larger audience. Right. I don't understand why they did not take advantage of that fact, I, but they just didn't. Right. And the thing is, is if Jonah is leaving, I mean, we thought he was leaving a couple of months ago and yeah. he didn't. Yeah, they extended the contract, but I only think they extended it to this pay-per-view. So, Oh, really? Unless, unless they've negotiated a new contract, which I haven't heard anything. I haven't heard anything either, but, you know, we I are— guess we'll see. I, I guess so. I don't know. But this was just—it was a wasted opportunity for something that could have been yeah. magical, yep. and they just didn't do it. I, I would I wouldn't have done anything different with no, this match. Because we all know what the real rivalry is is Mike Bailey and Ace Austin, and they just need to get the belt on one of those two. Right, and I'm hoping Trey Miguel is not leaving or anything. I'm hoping he's maybe even advancing into um, a different position on the card, mm -hmm. maybe even main event, because he's just one of their most consistent workers. Yeah, he really elevated this championship. Uh, a lot of fun overall, and I, I just don't like that Ace Austin is with the X Division at this point. I guess because Mike Bailey. Yeah, I no, can, Ace Austin, Mike Bailey, perfect rivalry right yeah, there. Yeah, I, I don't think bringing the X Division champion into this is necessary, uh, personally. The, you know, I think it's good. 
This, once again, we already said that there was a placement difference. This felt more like a world title match than the actual Knockouts world title it match. Um, the rivalry, hearkening back to the rivalry past, mm -hmm. was awesome. The match itself was constructed really well. Mm -hmm. And this is where Taya Valkyrie did not have to wrestle to put over what's going to happen here. Right. You know why? Because Taya Valkyrie's been wrestling as a singles. Right. She wrestled in Triple A. And Deanna Perrazzo, she's been she's consistently very... defending right. these champions. Um, now she's not the champ champ, but now what are you going to be doing with the Ring of Honor Women's World Champion? Oh, they'll probably she'll probably end up going to uh, fucking. Um, uh, do you think? Uh, do you AEW think? You think? You think she'll be signing with them? Deanna Perrazzo signing with AEW? Yeah, I don't see that happening. I don't see it either. I think she's going to lose she's, that. So she'll drop it to an AEW person. Yeah, because they just they cannot do something with Deanna. Now I'm not necessarily saying that's a bad thing, but right. you know, I drop it to Ty Conti. <laughs> don't get me started. Sammy Guevara blocked me, by the way. He didn't like me when I posted him proposing to his ex. I'm like, I'm pretty sure you were fucking Conti right after that too, and then he blocked me. <laughs> I might have deserved it. Um, the rivalry going into it was good. The match itself was good. The winner was right. Also, um, I think Chris Sabin was the one who was pinned. Yes. And I that's good because Jay White would have been hurt by Steve Macklin winning mm -hmm. more than Sabin. Sabin is a veteran. Right. Jay White. And honestly, I think Chris Saban is kind of moving into the tag team division again, which is fine. Yeah, no, that's that's, that's totally fine. This is a good um, this Steve, is a good wrap Steve up. Steve Macklin is uh, Steve Macklin's moving on to bigger and better things. Hopefully, maybe even going after. Well, you see, this is where. Well, I don't know. I wouldn't have said the X division because he already went for the X division champion a handful of him, times. Yeah, just put him into uh, you know a world title picture or something along those lines. This is what happens when you don't have. Because the exhibition champion is their technical secondary, and me talking about the um, you know the television champion, this is kind of that situation where they have a roster that's diverse enough to where it's sort of a crime to not have another secondary. Right. But you know it is what it is. Um, it is. There we go. I wouldn't have done anything different though. Yeah. You see, this is what happens when the show is really good and the rivalries yep. are built really, okay. Really, really good ending to this rivalry. At least I hope it is. <laughs> I, I hope so too. But the problem now is, what other team can go for this belt? Rosemary and um, uh, Havoc again? No, well, there there are other. I'm sure that they will them, find other tag teams to go after this title. Now I could see tag teams coming in, maybe maybe with some NWA stuff, maybe with some AEW women stuff. Mm -hmm. There are plenty of women that are out there that Impact's working with that can go for these titles. Mm -hmm. I didn't like them bringing back these champions. I was kind of concerned. They're they're doing fine with it, mm -hmm. but what now? Well, and you never know. I don't even have a fucking thing. I don't like NWA bringing back the women's tag team champions. Well, NWA works with a lot more independent wrestlers. That's than. true. So that makes sense. But Impact Wrestling doesn't. They work with AEW, and AEW already has two women's champions. But you never know. You never know. Um, uh, this, this this match was changed, obviously, but the rivalry was... the rivalry going into it was fine because obviously you have the Ring of Honor World Champion who mm -hmm. was not joining Honor no more. Right. Thank God he didn't because that whole faction is a non whatever anyway. Mm -hmm. Although and Eddie Edwards didn't need this heel turn, I think he did. It helped him character wise. Oh, absolutely. He was he was kind of dead in the water as a babyface, yeah. and him as a heel, he works much better as a heel anyway. So yeah. it doesn't matter. 
So there we go. That's it. Uh, what are we doing next week? We are doing... Uh, we're, we're doing we're doing a double trouble here um, on two different sides of the fucking globe. We have uh, the first of three uh, triple manias mm-hmm. in Monterey. So we'll be covering that. That's Maybe, on... No, there was already a triple mania, wasn't there? No, no there... that was that was triple mania regia. Yeah, that was triple mania regia. Um, so there, there is that one. So we'll be watching that on Saturday. And then we also have Wrestling Don't Taku mm-hmm. on the first. So we will have a double trouble on that. And um, we'll do our wrestling heckling, all the fun stuff. Yep. So if you did enjoy this, if you did enjoy this video sentence, remember to like, subscribe, follow, uh, check out the Linktree QR code right there, this area. And as always, be majestic.